So we're continuing with our series on Exodus. Today is our third Sunday. And um, as you have read from the church email, the main focus of today is chapters 4, 5, and 6. And actually, I would say that mainly would be chapter 5 and a little bit of chapter 6, because we're going to touch on the remaining part of chapter 4 next Sunday when we talk about the miracles and the, the plagues and the signs that God had given to Moses and Aaron to lead the people. So, Exodus. Um, if we were to look at an overview of the chapters, actually chapter 4 is that refining of this leader that is going to bring the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt to the Promised Land. And basically, it, it has to do with that moment of preparation, which actually continues in chapter 5 and continues throughout the whole book because each, of, any, each and every one of us is work in progress. But it's very defined how God um, deals with Moses and how he, Moses deals with God and communicates. And even though Moses is standing in this holy ground, still God Almighty is approachable in the conversation and Actually, Moses is able to have this dialogue with God. And then chapter 5, we see that as a reaction of this initiative that Moses and Aaron have to take the people out of bondage, out of exile, sorry, out of this bondage to the promised land, um, there is an overreaction of the Pharaoh. And as a result, there is oppression. And the people who were normally working and making bricks in the Egypt, now they're asked to do a harder task. If the bricks until this point where all the materials were provided, now the uh, Hebrews have to go and look for the materials. There is lack of straw, but still the demand for the same amount of production is there. And then Exodus chapter 6 um, talks a little bit about, actually, in all of this picture of oppression, there is this bright hope that God is there, and He is not done. He is not finished. He still remembers the promises. So, there we are. We're going to deal with three different questions today. And um, the first question really comes from Chapter 5. Who will serve whom? If you notice, if you have read the chapter, that there is this sorry, let me get my notes right. Um, there is this tension between who is serving who? And actually, there is this tension of, um, actually, who is expecting what? And it's very clearly that from the Egyptians' politics, the way that it worked out was that actually it is Pharaoh, then it's the other gods, then it's the Egyptians, then other people, and these this are kind of all in the scale to serve Pharaoh. 
Whereas from the Moses point of view and from what God is doing, God is asking His people to come and actually be led by Moses and Aaron to go to the promised land so they can go and worship Him. Who will serve whom is a question that has been accompanying the people of Israel throughout their whole history. You read the Old Testament, and it's this challenging question. It's this challenging question that they have to come to terms with themselves because they've gone for other gods, because they've made other allegiance to other places and other people and other gods. And all of a sudden, they come to the terms with the reality that they have forgotten the promises. They have forgotten the covenant that God has made with His people. And I just want to throw that question because I think that question is still valid for the church today. It was a valid question for the church, the early church. Look at the letters that Paul writes to all the churches and look at the struggles that they were having. And I mean, look at the history of Jesus even approaching people. And it's, it's this question, who is serving whom? Jesus says to his disciples, you cannot serve two masters. You see the New Testament church, and they've been struggling. And it goes back to what we shared last Sunday with the idea of the identity, that this is where it becomes very crucial. So the question that we've got for the 21st century before we go to Cairns Road Baptist Church is, who is serving whom? It's a searching question. Because in this case, these people are really torn. What do they do? Do they just follow what Pharaoh is telling them? And carry on doing the brickwork? Or are they going to listen to this appeal that Moses is going to make, being called by God, so they can go out and worship him in the promised land? The other two questions come from the text themselves. So here we've got people who are being put actually in the spot. You've got the Israelites, you've got the leaders, you've got the slave drivers, you've got um, the leaders of the um, Jewish people, you've got Aaron and Moses. Um, They're all in the spot because actually Moses wants to be obedient. But at the same time, He's struggling to understand that if God has promised to deliver these people and bring them to the promised land, why do they have to suffer? And why is it not as easy? Because He is God Almighty. Why cannot He just make Pharaoh let them go? When actually God is saying that Israel is his precious firstborn son. This is how precious this group of people are to God. And we come to this question because actually Moses asks 
in chapter 6. And it says, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble in this people? It's a legitimate question. And I think Elaine kind of touched a little bit on that when we talked about persecution and stuff. And it's very interesting that my only observation for for today on this passage would be that the moment that Moses and Aaron introduced the name of Jehovah to Pharaoh, that is when the trouble starts for the people of Israel making bricks. So there is something there about the name. There is something there about the name. Because actually, in the understanding of the Egyptian culture, which is polytheistic, this is a new notion. Jehovah is the God of heaven. And all of a sudden, they are introduced, well, Pharaoh is, not only with the name of God, but he is introduced with this imperative command to let the people go because God wants them to go and worship him. And Pharaoh says, no. These guys are lazy. They're not working hard enough. Let's make them work harder. Let's bring up this atrocious, yeah, vengeance against them because actually they've come, you know, to introduce me something new and the only way that I'm going to make them give up and lose focus is by having them suffer a little bit more. And actually, the suffering is into scale. It gets harder and harder until Moses and Aaron are facing this question. It says, well, what's going wrong here? Do you think God is not in control? Where was Moses with all his passion about the promises of God that he got? I want to bring this a little bit into the New Testament because I think the church in Corinth has got a very clear understanding of this. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 8 and 10. Paul is writing from prison and he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Similar. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. 
He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. Now, for me to read these words, it's very easy. For us to sit in a middle-class church in Bristol, in the city center, and read those words, and we say, oh yeah. But I'm very humbled by those words. Because I know that perhaps there are people in this country for which these words are true because of what's going on. Because of the journey of faith that they've taken. Because of the commitments that they've made to Christ. So when I read those scriptures, I think, yes, the Corinthians had the, Corinthians had the understanding But yet, we do ask the question, and we're saying, Moses, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? And the Corinthians say, actually, so we can rely on God and not on ourselves. How much do we have to learn from that as a Western church? So we can learn to rely on God and not on ourselves. Now, that's a tough call for us. Because I remember, perhaps I've told you the stories, when I went to Nepal, it was very clear I don't want to bore you with stories from Albania, so I'm going to say Nepal this time. It was very clear that people had nothing. And for them, to rely on God was automatic. It was part of their living. You know, you, you, you're lacking something. You don't go to, on credit to your credit card provider. You don't have insurances. You just go to God in prayer. And the most fascinating thing was that you see God answering their prayers because they've got this fully reliance on God. So that's why I say it's a tough call for us because we do have a lot of things that maybe they are considered luxuries, maybe they're considered necessities because we have come to that standard of living that actually we cannot live without them. Yesterday, I removed the Facebook app from my phone. And it was very interesting. How many times did I go back to my phone to check about Facebook and it wasn't there? But I rely on my phone as well. We rely on technology. The projector was not working this morning. We are so reliable on so many things where God doesn't take the place that we ought to rely on. So the question that I've got is, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble to these people? So do we need trouble in order for us to learn 
that relying on God is the only way forward for a community of faith. The third question that comes very clearly as a result of the statement of the end of chapter 5, but it comes twice for Moses. Because he has gone to the people of Israel and he says, listen guys, this is God's plan for you. We're going to go to the promised land. We're going to enjoy deliverance so we can go and worship God. And they don't listen. So Moses goes back to God and says, actually, if my own people who know of the history and who know of God's revelation of the past, which has been passed on from generation to generation, are not listening to this. Why in the world would Pharaoh listen, which he, in which he's just been introduced with this name? Do you remember, chapter 3 was when God is trying to refine and raise this Moses as a leader. That's why I said earlier on, he's work in progress. We're all work in progress. So God is very patient with Moses. He's very patient with us. He comes to the point that God has to reveal again the promises that God has made with his people. For the very same reason that same problem we've struggled today, simply, full stop, we are forgetful people. And that's why we've got a very good reminder. That's why there are two things that God has given the church that we can remember what he has done for us. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because we simply are forgetful. So God has to bring Moses back to the promises. I'll read Exodus 6, the first part. Then the Lord said to Moses... Now you will see. So it was the question, if the people have not listened, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord says to Moses, Now you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord. I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them, 
to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I've heard the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. And that's a covenant. And that's a promise that God had made with this people who were in slavery now in Egypt. That He will bring them to the land that He has promised. I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I'll give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses, what else do you want? Moses, I am the Lord. The same thing applies to us. Because there are promises of scriptures that are valid for us today. You come further on the first Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter one, and it says that actually all the promises that are in the scripture, they're vast, and they've all been fulfilled. They're yes in Jesus. Have you forgotten God's promises to you? Is there something that you have held dear for a long time and a bit like Moses have come to this place of not bothering about it? Have you hidden this promise somewhere that's actually, it's distant? Are you nurturing your Christian walk with God? based on your own ability or based on the promises that God has got for you. I want to close with uh, 2 Corinthians. As a um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 I think. For no matter how many promises God made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit on our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Perhaps you're sitting there today and you've got questions. Perhaps you're grappling, like Moses is, with big issues. And once again, God reveals himself to Moses with his long-enduring patience to say, 
who He is. And the most gobsmacking thing is that the same God that revealed Himself to Moses is your God and my God today. And because of what Jesus has done, we can approach the throne of grace and we say, Abba, Father, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your promises to me. Help me to stay on course. Amen.